And then the weirdest thing with NCTE, I was supposed to sign copies of New Kid at one in the afternoon. And I get there early and there is a line that's blocking my table. And I'm thinking, doggone it, if they book Jeff Kenny, why would they book someone with this long line that's going to block my table? And I go, I'm kind of cranky now, you know, and I go to the woman at the end of the line and I'm like, hi, excuse me, ma'am. Who are you guys here to see? She goes, we're here to see you. I was like, this is my line? Hi, I'm graphic novelist Jarrett J. Krasowska, and welcome to Origin Stories. In this episode, we're going to get to know how Jerry Craft became multi-award winning. Jerry, I like to rib Jerry and call him an overnight success. Jerry's first full-length graphic novel, what many in publishing thought for years was unattainable. It won the prestigious Newbery Medal, the gold medal, that, that big, shiny, iconic medal of children's literature for a graphic novel. And, and not to be outdone, Jerry also won a Coretta Scott King medal for writing. Again, another medal, the big one. And so you might be wondering, why is it ironic to call Jerry an overnight success? Well, you're about to find out. Let's get to know Jerry Craft's origin story. Origin stories with JJK. Jarrett J. Krasowski. Jarrett Krasowski. Before we get into my conversation with Jerry Craft, Origin Stories is sponsored in part by High Five Books, a beautiful and incredible indie bookshop here in Florence, Massachusetts. Check out studiojjk.com for, for links to buy. For links. I, hmm. And while you're over on the High Five website, check out their curated list of book recommendations. Truly high five worthy. Okay, on to my chat with Jerry Craft. Hey, Jerry, how are you, man? Jared, I can't imagine how thrilled you must be. Dude, this is <laughs> such an honor for me. I'm t- <laughs> we were talking before we went live about how awkward it is when you might be interviewed for something. And I was, oh, it's, it's an honor to be here. But how funny it would be if, like, it's a really big deal for you that I am on your show. <laughs> Which, Jerry, and honestly, it really is a big deal that you're on this podcast. Because, granted, we, we go way back. You're a Newbery Medal Award-winning author, Credit Scott King. Uh, writer metal you're appearing on so many different cable news programs lately but you'll always be to me the the jerry craft who had a table next to me i want to say it was 2009 2010 at a a library conference massachusetts school library association you had a collection of your mama's boys the, the strips the treasuries i had the first lunch lady book few picture books and we sat there uh and people came by our tables throughout the evening and they smiled politely and they picked up our books and then they awkwardly would put the books back at the table right. avoid eye contact but then smile and then walk away but through that I, I we got to be pals and that's how we met and i judge men based on whether or not they're a good dad Okay, and, and we just talked about kids, and you immediately were talking about your boys. Yeah, so we were just a couple of scrappy kids with some comics that no one cared to look at. <laughs> and here we are now on a podcast together. All these years later. Oh, wow. What a nice hobby this must be for you guys. Before we get into how you got into making comics professionally, I want to know a little bit about young Jerry Craft, please. A lot of it is Jordan Banks. For the most part, I was Jordan Banks, the protagonist from New Kid. The house where Jordan lives is the house where I grew up. So that photo that you saw that you just showed, yep, that's it. So I'm sitting on the porch with, with my buddies and we would like the little rascals. And for the most part, wherever I was, I had straight hair and my skin was light. In school, I was a year younger, always, than everyone in my class. And I was smaller. I didn't get my growth spurt until like 11th grade. So 11th grade through, I'd say about 21, I grew maybe six inches. But I was 5'4" up until 11th grade. So really late bloomer. Always loved comic books and my Atari 2600. Always wanted to be an artist. My parents had only ever heard the term starving artist. So they were like, 
Yeah, maybe not. So they wanted me to do it as a hobby, but not necessarily as a living because they thought that the only living I would be doing as a professional artist is living in the basement of the brownstone until I was 15. So I think the only artist that you even knew of was Darren from Bewitch. I think he was the art director at an ad agency, but everyone else they thought was just selling paintings of bulldogs playing poker in the other trunk of the car in the village. And that was not a life that they wanted uh, for their son. So I had taken the test when I graduated from St. Matthew's Lutheran School in Inwood. I took the test for both music and art and art design. I passed them both. And my mom was like, yeah, there's a school in Riverdale called Fieldston where you can get a real education and get a real job. So you're going to go there. And that was the start of my life as Jordan Banks, the new kid. What did your parents do? What was their vocation? My dad worked for the post office. It was one of those where he never missed a day, but like he just never missed work. So when he retired, he had sick months of crude vacation days. Wow. So he retired like six months earlier than he could have, than he should have, but he had all this paid vacation. My mom always worked for the city. So she worked for Mayor John Lindsay's office and she knew Carl McCall, who eventually became governor. And so she always had these like jobs downtown, like Canal Street, Chamber Street down there. And, but my dad, idea was basically you get a job, you stay there for 30 years, you get the gold watch and you retire. So there was no sense of being an entrepreneur or upward mobility or just finding your passion, whatever. It was like, do it and suck it up. And just 30 years later, you retire. So that was the mindset that I had to break out of. And that's, and it, and it is a lot for a parent to wrap their brain around. If that's how your dad knew how to make a living and provide for everyone, and the way your mom was bringing income into the house as well, you may as well have said, I, I want to travel to outer space. How, how is this kid possibly going to support himself? I'll get a little Dr. Phil on you. My dad, my dad told the story of being in the Merchant Marines in Port Arthur, Texas and drank out of a white water fountain accidentally and was like chased back to his ship. That was a whole different era back then. Doesn't seem like it's that different now, but for a while, it seemed like it was very different. And to have that person that was, that lived that life and was really never thought of to be equal or good enough. He had a lot of stuff like that. That was just like, you put your head down and you just go and you, you do your job and you don't make waves, that kind of thing. My mom was a little bit better at that than he was. So I got kind of the work ethic from him, but then the sense of belonging, or if you work harder, that you're just as good, or you can be better or that kind of thing from Bob. So it was a, a pretty good double influence that I got that helped me to, to get to where I am. I remember with my first Mom and Boys book, I self-published because I could not get traditionally published. And I gave up on being traditionally published in 1997. I started my own publishing company and I published my first book, Mom and Boys, as American the Sweet Potato Pie, 1997. I think I bought 2,500 copies. It cost maybe $5,000. And then I had 2,500 copies of a book that I had no idea how to sell. Yeah. So it was in the trunk of my car and trying to go to book fairs and go to book fair. And you come back with 2,499, you know, the one that probably swapped with each other. And so there was a lot, it was putting in your own money. It was driving up. It was being hopeful. It was coming back rejected. But how do you build up to be hopeful the next time? From 97, it wasn't until 2014 that I got offered to illustrate the Zero Degree Zombies of a Scholastic that I had, quote unquote, a real publisher behind me. But it was a long, you talk about pushing a boulder uphill for almost 20 years. There was a there was a lot of that. So what happened then what happened in the time between being a teenager, living with your parents, to then self-publishing Mama's Boys in 97? Like 
It's a big, it's a big chunk of time there. Like what kind of stuff were you doing? After I graduated from Fieldston, which is a school in Riverdale, which I changed to Riverdale Academy Day School in New Kid, I did get to go to School of Visual Arts. So I did finally go to an art school. And they had cartoonists such as Will Eisner and Harvey Kurtzman and some really legendary cartoonists, but I only really knew Marvel guys. If that had been Jack Kirby or John Buscema or Gene Colan, I'd be like, oh, great. These guys were doing indie stuff and graphic novels and it wasn't superhero stuff. So I really didn't know who they were. So as a result, I did not think that the line would be out the placement office and around the corner trying to get to their classes. So as a result, the whole four years where I was in school, I couldn't get into any cartooning classes. So I never took any cartooning. I ended up majoring in advertising copywriters. So I did become like Darren from Bewitch. I graduated and I was an ad copywriter. So I wrote radio commercials, a couple of TV spots, a lot of print ads. And I did that for eight years at a place called Lewandowski Enterprises. It was a very small agency. And then I went to another one called McNamara Clap and Klein, where I wrote a few things there. And then in the early 90s, so it, this is Mad Men. This is me being Don Draper, that, that concept of Madison Avenue. And then in the early 90s, the ad business just disintegrated. And now I would go for a job and I'm like, is that my teacher also dropping off his portfolio? So that was scary. And I remember going for an interview at Gray Advertising and this woman says, oh my goodness, this is so great. I'm going to call a friend of mine. She calls up and I'm sitting right there and she's like, hey, John, listen, I have this young copywriter here. It's one of the best I've seen. What advice can you give? Oh, he says to get out of business now while you can. And it was like, whoa, like, I've been going to school for this and you're telling me to get out of business. So I went back to the placement office at School of Visual Arts and they said that there was a woman who was looking for an art assistant and she was doing comics for Marvel. And I was like, oh my goodness, I finally get to work on Spider-Man. And I get there and it's a woman named Barbara Slate and she tells me that she is doing Archie in ancient Rome. It was a series called Sweet 16 and she needed someone to help with the backgrounds and things like that. And so I looked at my brother and sister's old Archie comics and I spent the weekend drawing Archie and I went there Monday morning with a brand new portfolio and I got the job. And then I worked with Barbara Slate for maybe three years doing the backgrounds for Sweet 16, uh, New Kids on the Block comics. You, were, you yep. worked on the New Kids on the Block comics. Cold chilling. You had the right stuff, Jerry. Yeah, yeah, see, new, from new kids on the block to new kids, see? see that's, a, that's an amazing detail about your trajectory. That was not in your Newbery Medal acceptance speech. So, yeah, it was yep, new kids on the block. And then she did Yuppies from Hell, which is a graphic novel. So that was one of the first graphic novels I had seen. I think one of the first ones I read was Why I Hate Saturn by Kyle Baker. And it was, so it's one of the first non-superhero books I had ever read. And I was like, wow. I love this. This is cool. I hadn't read the Will Eisner stuff yet. And then Barbara did Yuppies from Hell. And then we did the sequel to that. And then after there, I had created a comic strip called Mama's Boys. And while I was working with Barbara, I sent it into King Features trying to get syndicated because it was basically like five syndicates. It was like United, Universal, King Features, uh, Tribune, and like LA Times. So those four controlled everything. And people should know too that most of those are legacy strips. And so yeah. King, your Garfield, your Blondies, and, and in a lot of those situations, even if the cartoonist has been doing this for so many decades and grows old and dies, then the children of that cartoonist keeps it going. Yes. So Blondie had been around since the 1930s. Blondie was a, like a flapper or something. She's like a showgirl. That sold sold cigarettes, and, like candy, cigarettes, candy, cigarettes. Yeah. yeah. And Dagwood came from a wealthy family. He falls in love with Blondie. And his parents are basically like, look, if you marry that flapper, we're cutting you off. And he marries her because she's beneath him. And they cut him off. And then years later, it, it changed. 
and people forget about that, but that had been around since the 30s. And Henry and some of these strips, Flash Gordon that my friend Jim Keith ended up taking over. Yeah, and you're right. When they die or whatever, they hire someone else to do Popeye. And each one would maybe, each syndicate would maybe take on four or five new strips a year to see if any of them could stick around. But for the most part, it was Peanuts and Lynn Johnston with For Better, For Worse. And Calvin and Hobbes would come and that was like a big thing and Farside. And my job at King Free, so I ended up getting hired there as an intern one day a week. And I got to work on these comic strips. So like there was a mistake made. One panel, Dagwood has on short sleeves. The next panel, he has a long sleeves. I'd have to go in and fix the art. Or if there were spelling errors, I'd make a copy or photo stat and put wax on it and cut it with my exacto blade and fix the lettering or reformat the Prince Valiant strips or handicap. I'd have to reformat next Sundays. And Jerry, why, so Jerry, why didn't you, why didn't you just use Photoshop? Wouldn't that have been easier? Yeah. I remember when we <laughs> first got, I'd been there maybe three years before we got one Mac Quattro and, and that was for the whole art department to share. We had to go, all right, I need it from one to two tomorrow. Okay. Okay. News the Yeah. It was so weird. And then I used my copywriting skills. So then when we launched new comic strips, like we did one called Mallard Fillmore about, uh, a mallard, a duck, like how the duck, if he was political working in DC and my headline was like the most controversial bill ever to hit Washington. <laughs> it bill. Like did there, yeah. and uh, and we launched months and zits. They're still around. A lot of strips only were like four months, and they would get canceled. And it was like literally back to the drawing board. But I got to meet Mort Walker, and, and Mort you know, Walker did uh, Beetle Bailey, right? Beetle Bailey, yeah, Beetle Bailey. Yep. And then the Brown family did Hank of the Horrible, and I think they did High and Lows together. So, and then Ray Bill and Steve Curtis just won the Rubin Award, which is a really big deal. Congratulations, Ray Billingsley. And so I stayed there for eight years, worked in the comic art department and writing brochures and things like that. So it was cool. I got to meet a lot of artists there. You really cut your teeth. That's your master's degree in comics right there. Yeah, it really was. It really was to go out to lunch with Fred Laswell, who did the Barney Google strip. And he's like, hey, come on, I'm taking that one to the Palm Restaurant. I'm like, okay, that's the only way I'll ever get there. I, I don't know this story. And so it's rattling around in my brain. And, and for me, it's really connecting the dots of that transition of the olden days of comic strips and what graphic novels are like now. I know it's a foreign concept for young readers today to even grasp the thought that when you and I were young readers, when we were kids and we wanted to pick up a comic, it was the comic strips in the newspaper or Marvel and DC comics. And that's all that we had access to. There were no graphic right. novels being published for kids, no original stories like we have no. now and no. and then at, at some point you got exposed to and i got exposed to at some point that whoa comics can be something different than a superhero story or a three-panel gag and there there is of course there is there is a place for those right. comics as well but it can it's an art form that could be so much more and i'm just my brain is just yep. racing now thinking of the people you met and where you are now and so that's so this is all how you became an overnight success with yeah that. Yeah, it, it was a piece of cake. <laughs> Kink Features, I got my Mama's Boys comic strip syndicated weekly. So it was part of this thing called the weekly package that they had that had original comic strips like mine. It had the classics, Flash Gordon and Henry. And then they had like car columns and astrology columns. So if you owned a newspaper, you could subscribe to that and you get a stack of stuff and you take whatever you want and throw out the rest. So it went to 1500 papers. I have no idea how many papers actually use Mama's Boys. So then I left there in... 97, I think, and got a job at Sports Illustrated for Kids. I had taught myself website design and I got hired as an online producer for the Sports Illustrated for Kids website. That's very forward thinking in 1997. Even the thought that well, a legacy media company like Sports Illustrated might need that resource. So that goes to that hard work and hustle that you were raised with. There's a yep. connection there. Yep. And we used to get 
companies sending us toys and books and things like that. And I remember one day getting a advanced reader copy. It wasn't even stapled. It, it definitely, it was just a draft and said, Hey, monkey boy. <laughs> yeah. Good night, monkey boy. Good night, monkey boy. Yes. And I, I remember that from years ago, and it wasn't until maybe six months ago that somehow it came up and I was like, wait a minute, Jerry Koscheska, I had no idea that was yours. Yeah. So think of the universe bringing us together where my, my first published book made it to your desk at Sports Illustrated Kids. Hey, hey, everyone. If you're enjoying my chat with Jerry and want to see the conversation, which includes visuals of the books we reference, check out studiojjk.com forward slash origin stories. I recorded this talk via Switcher Studio. Switcher Studio is a simple and powerful iOS app that makes your live video feed look like a professionally produced piece. Your iPad becomes like the production control room as you switch between your iPhone camera, which acts as a webcam, your remote guests, any pre-recorded video or visuals you want to bring on the screen. I'd like to thank Switcher Studio for sponsoring this podcast. And to thank you for listening, you may use code STUDIOJJK at switcherstudio.com to receive a free month of the service. I hated to read, with the exception of Spider-Man and Silver Surfer, and even then I would skip the department he was Peter Parker talking to Aunt May and gets the the fight scenes. You insolent adult, I will crush you. I get to that part where he's fighting Craven the Hunter, Doctor Octopus. My teachers thought that reading comics would rot your brain, that they were just silly and worthless. So they would confiscate your comic books to keep you from reading it. And then, so I learned early on reading was never for enjoyment because the stuff that I enjoyed, my teachers didn't want me to do. And that's why I'm so concerned now with the whole book banning thing is that there's so many people that are gravitating to New Kid and Hey Kiddo and so many other great books, Kelly Yang's books. And, and it's, wow, I love these. Yeah. Yoink, we're going to lock these up. It's not like they're going to then go and read. Oh, let me read Cats in the Rye again. They're going to go on TikTok. So that experience for you growing up must have informed the kind of dad you became to your boys about reading. Yeah, I I wanted them to have the love of books that I never had. I could read, but in my mind, reading was only for information. So I could read a 500-page book on how to use Adobe Photoshop or Flash. I could read that or finances or things like that. But the concept of sitting down with a book for enjoyment was not something that I did until I was literally a grown man with kids. And what kind of books did your kids like? Like what kind of books did you have to read over and over again that you were that you'd be psyched about when they were reading Um, or they were like, what do they gravitate towards? I am a master at reading Fox and Socks by Dr. Seuss. Even with the alliteration, I'm a near professional at that. So that was one. But Horton Hears a Who, we're big Dr. Seuss guys. And then Captain Underpants came into the picture. Then they discovered Whippy Kid on their own. And that's when it went to a whole new level. Now, I had read things like The Wizard of Oz. Like, who knew that was a book? Some dark stuff. And then I remember But Not Budding by Christopher Paul Curtis. And that was a book that had these two little shiny stickers on it. And I was like, huh, I have no idea what those are, but it must mean it's a good book. So when I would go to this school library, I would look for those two little shiny stickers. And we got holes and I was like, oh, okay, that's a sign that, okay. So I would go and look for those stickers. But Whippy Kid was what did it for them because everyone in class is walking around hugging a book. And my kids were like, Dad, we have to go to the store on August 11th. And I'm thinking they mean GameStop to pick up the new Sonic or something. And they're like, no, we got to go to the bookstore to get the new Wimpy Kid. I'm like, when a book is coming out? I had never heard of that. The first book birthday I was aware of is when New Kid came out. That was the 
first time I knew when a book was coming out. And then they went to Percy Jackson and they were the same with that. And so they're readers. So there again, that's like your second master's degree in literature. You spent all yep. of those years uh, working at the syndicate and now you are getting on the floor with your kids and you're reading and you're supporting them and you're following they, their lead on their interests. Yep. And wow, that changed your life, yep. didn't it? It did. It really did. But it also showed me that there weren't a lot of books with African-American protagonists that were on the level of Wimpy Kid, where it was just kind of fun. Like a lot of the ones that I got, it was the, the big trifecta. It was slavery, civil rights, or police or gangs. And I'm like, where is the, like, just the fun book of gooping around and eating pizza and playing video games and that kind of thing. And then, so out of the blue, so I was still self-publishing. And then one day I was like, I don't think I can do this anymore because I was always having to do a book for someone. I was, I started my own publishing company and then I worked with other authors to publish their books. So I would draw it, color it, do the layout, get the ISBN number, the barcode, upload it to a printer. So I was like full service. Wow. And did that for 20 years and did eh, two to three thousand books that I, I worked on. You're a one man uh, man. You were like the dude who's got like the guitar and the kazoo yeah. and the drums and the, and the cymbals. It was a lot. And I was like, I always have to be doing something. And then I always had to be going to book fairs with like now I would go with 15 different titles and it was rough. So I reached out to someone that I knew in publishing. I said, I need to know some real people like this self-publishing thing is a lot. It taught me a lot. And so she introduced me by email to three people and I sent out query letters and I got a very polite rejections. And then about three months later, it was like March of like maybe 2012. Uh, I got an email. Hey, why don't you come in to meet with us? And I'm like, oh, okay. And it was at Scholastic and I went in and I had every book I ever did. And I go in, I'm a one man show and I'm juggling and saying and dancing and doing my whole spiel. And I do it. And I'm like, ta-da. And they're like, so what else you got? What do you mean? What else? <laughs> that's, that, that's the show. That's it. That's the show. You know, good night. I'll be here all week. You know, try the deal. <laughs> and they were like, have you ever thought of doing a middle grade graphic novel? And I said, well, I have one loosely based on my life of being with a few kids of color in a predominantly white private school. Mm -hmm. They all sit up, go on. And so they were like, oh, now I had planned to self-publish it. But the only thing is for me to self-publish a 200 page book in full color, I would have had to probably pay $12 a unit. But I'd have to charge like $30 because it's very expensive. So it probably wasn't something that was going to happen. And then they were like, oh, why don't you do up some samples? So I did it up and they liked it. And I just did more and more. And then they said, have you ever read Smile by Raina Telgemeier? I said, no. And they go to the vault and open up. And the angels come out and the light shines down. <laughs> and all of the angels have braces. Exactly. <laughs> and they make me wash my hands and they hand it to me. And I open it up and it was like, Smile by Raina Telgemeier. And I took it home and I read it. And I was like, I want to be Raina Telgemeier. Okay. And that's an amazing story, an amazing trajectory, because you had 20 years behind you of all of these other life experiences that were building up to this moment yeah. to become an overnight success. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Andrea Davis Pinckney from Scholastic reached and asked me if I wanted to illustrate the Zero Degree Zombie Zone, which I did. And then I got on my first press junket kind of thing, going with Patrick Henry Bass, who's the author. They sent me to... BEA, Book Expo of America, which is in New York. And I had always gone there, but I had gone as the guy with his suitcase looking for free books. So it was really, it was like mind blowing to be on the other side of the table with a line of people. That was like in a scholastic booth, like that was unreal. 
And then I illustrated that. And then they sent me to the National Book Festival. And then that was when I met Raina Telgemeier. I met Jean Yang. And so Patrick Henry Bass and I go on first, right? We're in this auditorium and there's 50 people. And then my people, our people leave. And I look up and now there's 200 little girls hugging Raina Telgemeier's book. So she comes on next. And it's like, wow, okay. And then she leaves and I'm staying there. And then there's 340 year old men with, oh man, what's the name of that book? They made a movie out of it where it's like the seven ex-girlfriends. Scott Pilgrim. So now it's, yes. So now, right, it's him. And now it's 340 year old men hugging their books. And I'm like, this is, who knew that people loved books like this? And it was every age group. And then after that, I think it was like Jeff Smith. And then there was like Jeff Kenny. And then they all signed together. And that, the, the hallway was just mobbed with thousands of these book loving people. And it was like, that was eye opening. I was like, this is a real business. (laughs) Like who knew? Yeah. And then we ended up, so I ended up getting an agent because Scholastic really liked the book and I got, I was able to get an agent and then we ended up selling it to Andrews McNeil, which was one of the publishers that I had, that I had tried to sell my mama's voice book to because Andrews McNeil specialized in those kind of treasury editions. So like anthologies of Farside and. Calvin Garfield, Garfield, Ziggy, that was all Ant's meal. And they had a, an imprint that had like new stuff. So they signed me for their imprint that had like the new stuff. And now I got my contract for new kids. So I'm drawing and I have until like April of 2016 to hand it in and like March, like a month before I'm supposed to hand it in, they scrap the whole project. They get rid of the whole imprint. And what am I going to do now? And so I had to start completely from scratch. And then, then it was a matter of finding a new soother. And it wasn't until January, 2017. And my, now it's rejected. And it was, it'd been rejected like five times. And some people are like, oh, it's angry. It's this, it's that. And it's, you know, and it wasn't until January, 2017 that I met with Andrew Eliopoulos from HarperCollins and he and Rosemary Bronson absolutely loved it. They saw exactly what I was trying to do. So I signed that contract and then it took me from January, 2017 until February, 2018, like start drawing at 9 AM, finish drawing at 3 AM almost every day for 13 months. I handed it in February of 2019. And then the worst thing ever, you had to take a, it took a year for it to come out. And I had so many things over the years come this close only to fall apart that I didn't even tell it. Like I had a deal for 40 card mama's boys, greeting cards from American greetings. I thought I had that and that fell apart. And then I was going to have this daily syndicated college step through kink features and that fell apart. And I had this other thing, like this looks good and that fell apart. And then, like I said, Anderson McNeil didn't want it. So I just, I didn't tell anybody because I was like, I don't believe that this is actually going to happen. And it literally wasn't until somebody saw the publishers weekly release. And then they were like, oh my God, Jerry Graf, congratulations. And they tagged me in it. And then I was like, hey, I think this might really happen. And then I retweeted it, but I tell anyone besides like beat it family and a few really close friends. And then it came out in February 5th, 2019, I had the cover blur from Jeff Kenny, which is amazing. And it's then beautiful that was it, moment. you know? Yeah. And then when I saw, we reconnected because when 
they started sending me out in October of 2019. It was 2018. Because if I think, hey, kiddo. 2018, kiddo. right. Before it came out. Yes. Yep. Yeah. 2018. And that was NEBA and Neighbor, New England Independent Booksellers Association and North America Ind- Independent Booksellers Association. A lot, I think of acronyms, a lot of acronyms yes. in the world yes. of children's publishing. And that's also something that not as many people know about. And everyone has a general idea of what a book tour might be. You tour around to bookstores right. and you sign books. But that pre-publication blitz is really important. And for about two or three months, yeah, you and I were at so many different events eating rubber chicken and greasing the wheels for these two books which for you and I our respective books were I don't want to say a gamble but we knew we I knew I had a lot writing on Hey Kiddo because it was very different yes. based on everything you've just told me and it, and man you talk about emotional turmoil in those years a decade plus leading up to New Kid publishing so now that we know the full depth of what you had been through how did you sleep the night before new kid published like i just really didn't know what to expect because again i always just wanted to do black kids as just regular kids without the weight of the world on their shoulders but i didn't see a lot of books like that so was it like kids didn't read them so they didn't make them or they didn't make them because kids didn't read them. I didn't know what, it was the chicken or the egg, which came first. And so I thought kids would like it. I didn't know if we would get critical acclaim. Yeah, I just really didn't know. And then I remember this woman, now friend Tildy, I went on Instagram one day and I got tagged and it was like, oh my goodness, I read the best book. I can't wait for it to come out. I'm like, why is she tagging me in this? And I looked and she had literally, I think Harper College had Xerox copies. This is before the advanced reader copy even came out. They made like Xerox copies and gave them out at some fair or book fair or weekend retreat. And she absolutely loved it. And that to me was like my first review. I was like, ah, somebody read it and they liked it. And I was like, wow, okay. And then, like I said, I met you again. We reconnected at Neba Neighbor. And I had to sign like 130 copies of the Rance Vita copy. And I had these like black Sharpies. I was like, hey, black Sharpies, that's cool. And then I get the book and it's all like black end papers. Oh, that's right. Yeah, the book has black end papers. So you invested in all of those black Sharpies only to then have to go into silver Sharpies. Yeah. And it would, and, and it was the advanced reader copy. So I literally had to sign in a pink marker on the very last page. That was like the only white in the whole book. That is and, exclusive. And, Look on eBay right now for those. Right, exactly. <laughs> Nika Denise was like, you want to borrow one of my silver markers? I was like, yes, please. And so then I could sign like the last 20 in silver. But up until then, everything was like the last page. Um, and then I went to Winter Institute. Which was in... Which we should say is an, an event for booksellers, right? Independent also booksellers. Also, in, like, nationwide. Mm-hmm. That was in, like, Mexico or Albuquerque, I think. And then I really started meeting, like, real authors. I took a selfie with Kobe Bryant holding the book. And so that was cool. And then the book came out at a very small launch. There was Porter Square Books in Boston. And then I went to D.C. and Philadelphia, Brooklyn. And like, that was it. That was my line. And then just slowly steady, the word started getting out. And I got five-star reviews. And it was just full steam ahead after that. And you worked so hard on getting behind the book to promote it. Because in the before times, especially, you had to go the places. And I think that's still important and it will be the future of getting word out for your books. But I think there is, I think there was a two month stretch where you and I were at a different event, book fair. I would see you every weekend for like two months, but 
You broke down so many barriers on so many levels. The fact that you saw such a desperate need to have books with young Black protagonists that's about their joy and that you wanted to make graphic novels and comics and you combined every piece of your essence to give us New Kid. And then it won the Newbery Medal, the, the, the award for writing and the Credit Scott King Medal for writing. You must have been stunned. What was that like? What was like? What was it like getting that phone call to not only that you would get that prestigious award, but you would be the first to break that barrier to get a graphic novel into that stratosphere of prestige in children's literature. You must still be processing it. It, it does take a lot to process. Like first, I got to say, so it's Belmont and Port of Square Books. Those are where I launched. So I just want to thank them again. Yeah, like there were a lot of schools that were doing mock Newberries. And New Kid did pretty well in mock Newberries. But I knew that it would because there were kids voting. But I wasn't sure that adults would vote for it. One... It just was going against the grain of history. Only four African-American authors had ever won Newbery in a hundred years. Mm -hmm. Like even to this day, four had ever won. Kwame Alexander, Virginia Hamilton, Christopher Paul Curtis, and Mildred Taylor. That was a long shot from that perspective. And then no uh, graphic novel had ever won. And there are some great graphic novels. Hey, Kiddo included it. American Born Chinese by Jean Yang, which is very influential to show just how much I felt I could push it. Victoria's Roller Girl, Cece Bell's El Defo, David Small Stitches. Those are like some of my favorites. And of course, Raina, who was just Raina. Yeah. Like, it was nice to just be in the conversation. 6.42 a.m., the phone ring and I normally turn off my phone because I work such late hours, but I had always heard that the phone rings at some ghastly hour of the morning, anywhere from 3 a.m. to 7 a.m. And so I, at 6.30, I was like, oh, it was a good run. So I went back to sleep. And then at 6.42, the phone rings and all I could think of is, man, if this is a credit card offer, Somebody is going to get hurt really bad. <laughs> no. <laughs> and you are right. such a gentle soul, so it's going to take a lot. To oh, yeah. To, that to that would have been bad. <laughs> and I was like, this is Jerry Craft? Yes. Oh, my God. We want to let you know that you've won the Newberry Medal. I did what? Like, what now? You won the Newberry Medal. And so I wasn't screaming. Like, I was just, like I'm doing now, like, stunned. Wow. Okay. Okay. Wow. And then the hardest thing ever is, okay, we're not going live until nine. So don't tell anyone. I'm like, I've got to sit on this secret for three hours. And then I just laid back down my heart pumping. And then a half hour later, the phone rings again. I'm thinking, hi, is this Jerry Craft again? Oh, we're so sorry. We thought we were calling Jerry Pinkney. I had no idea what this next call was because I didn't think I was even in that, in that realm. And so it's just Jerry Craft. Yeah. We want to let you know that you've won the Credit Sky King author award. Wow. And then, you know, a few months prior, I had won the Kirkus award. And that was weird because Harper wasn't even going to send me to that. I heard I was nominated and I talked to my editor. Like, hey, Angel, we going to Smith. I'm like, oh, okay. So I booked all, all these school visits. And then he calls the, yeah, my boss, Rosemary says, we should definitely go. Oh, okay. And I didn't prepare. And then I'm on the plane going there. I was like, what if I wished? I said, let me jot down some notes just in case. And so winning that was the first thing that I was like, wow, this is legit. Yeah. And then winning those two and then hearing, like not knowing that no graphic novel had won, not knowing only four African-American authors had won. Not knowing that no book had won those and the Kirk guess. I'm like, are you kidding me? So the kid whose teachers told him that comic books were stupid and not real reading grows up to do the comic. 
that legitimizes the format as real reading. It was like can bring in uh, balance to the forest, definitely <laughs> the vibe. You know, and then they're killing people and the that whole thing. But it was just really a lot. And because I wasn't a reader, I hadn't grown up with that Newberry. Like I know yeah. an Oscar and an Emmy. And a, but I remember my friend Donna calling me in tears because she loved Newberry books. And so it got her. She's, oh my God, you won. Oh, you know of this? Of course I know of this. I'm like, oh, okay. So it took six months for everything to kind of sink in. And it still does every once in a while. Like now I meet adults who are like nervous around me, which you know how you and I goof around. That's the last thing that I think that someone's going to be like nervous and jaking as they try to take a selfie. And, and I remember talking to a librarian that you don't understand, like you guys are our rock stars. I'm like, really? Okay. I'm like, if you knew me and Jared back in high school, you <laughs> 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 no, we were. And also, that would be the last thing I'm sure either of us. I don't understand. Like, I know so well what it's like to sit at a table with a pile of my books and have people pick it up, put it back down, smile politely, and walk on without an. <laughs> I remember going to NCTE, National Council of Teachers of English. And, you know, I had always gone to those things as a fan, you know? And I would get the the program and I would go through it with a highlighter, like, okay, 12 to one, Elizabeth Acevedo and Renee Watson, one to two, Eric Velasquez and Brian Collier, you know, three to four, Jason Reynolds, like that kind of thing. And so now for the first time I was going to these and I'm sitting in the audience and then the people next to me, I see them nudging each other and doing like, you know, like, look who we're sitting next to. And I was like, oh, wow. And then the weirdest thing with NCTE, like I was supposed to sign copies of New Kid at say like one in the afternoon. And I get there early and there is a line that's blocking my table. And I'm thinking, though gone it, if they book Jeff Kenny. And, you know, <laughs> my fans got to jump through. Why would they do this? You know, why would they book someone with this long line that's going to block my table? And I go, I'm kind of cranky now, you know, because I was like all into it. And I go to the woman at the end of the line and I'm like, I'm like, hi, excuse me, ma'am. Who are you guys here to see? She goes, we're here to see you. I was like, this is my line? Yeah. Oh. Oh, that's amazing. Huh. Okay. And so, yeah, it, it just took a long time to, you know, for it, for all that stuff to sink in. And that, then that's how you became an overnight success. Right. After yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, it, it's still sinking in because like, so I won the Newberry in January and then the world shut down due to the COVID in March. So like, I didn't get to give my speeches in person. Yeah. And I had trips like to China and Dubai and all these places, Hawaii that I had to cancel. So I've still not really been in person, you know? You, yeah, you have, you, you, you were robbed of the experience of having that immediate in-person celebration and, and bark my word, you're still going to get it. And if that's just oh, no, rain so weird. Like Jeff Kennedy, like throw it to your party, we will. But well, they didn't need, they didn't even do the, the ALA Newberry poster the year I won. So they've got the one there for me. And then they did the one after where I'm in second, but not the one that's like, Hey, here's new kid. I'm like, dude, you didn't do my poster. You know, I got a spot on my, my wall next to my read poster, you know, that I, I was saving, but yeah, it's, it's just been through Now the good thing about the lockdown is I was able to finish the the companion book class act in like record time because I didn't leave the house, you know, like we would go out once a week to buy groceries and then come back and, you know, put plastic over the windows, you know, <laughs> for like 
eight months. So I, yeah, where it took maybe, maybe two years to do new kid. I did class act in like eight months. And is, is there, have you been spending more time making a third book in the series? Yeah. So I'm about halfway through the third and I, I draw it all digitally, like right here. I've done all three books drawing in uh, Adobe Photoshop. You know, I, 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 I would bet your third new kid will probably come out around the time the companion book for Hey Kiddo. So Sunshine was supposed to be out, but with everything happening and I just didn't have the right headspace because graphic memoir, memoir is hard. So, you know, if our books come out at the same time and the world's open, we should go on a book tour together. Yeah, we do New Kiddo Part on, 2 on the New, new Kiddo, kiddo tour. Now that we know that you... Who did right, there you go. <laughs> so there I'll go. I'll work on the choreography. Okay. And okay, and I'll, I'll do the lyrics. Look... We are all better off that Jerry Craft continued to work hard and work through that pain of rejection, work through that pain of have, having projects fall through. Uh, and, and you followed your passions. You wrote the book that you wish you had. You, you wrote the book you wish your kids had. And, and the world benefits from that. We all benefit from that. And, and thank you so much for everything you are, Jerry Craft. I appreciate you so much. I miss you. I'm glad that we get to text and jump on the phone sometimes to talk about this crazy, bizarro career we chose to jump into. But thank, thank God we're here and thank God we have those librarians who are putting stickers on graphic novels, those librarians who are putting graphic novels on those shelves. And now more than ever, thank God for those, those librarians and classroom teachers who are, who are standing up to the bullies those the short-sighted people who are saying pull these books and and the librarians do that not because they think we're cool they do it for the same reasons we do and fight because we love the kids that we serve and and yeah. we fight for the kids that we serve i'm not gonna take up any, any more of your time because you probably have to get get back on that deadline i work until 3 a.m <laughs> god bless you man again thank you to jerry the overnight success for chatting and thank you for listening if you're interested in picking up some of Jerry's books and, and you'd like to order online while supporting a human with a dream, head to studiojjk.com forward slash origin stories for a link to High Five Books, a wonderful sponsor of the show. Again, I'm Jared Krasowska. I've been your host. I look forward to bringing you more of these interviews. Find me on social media across all platforms at Studio JJK. Bye.